0: Hi, this is Glenn Hughes and you're listening to Focus on Metal.
1: Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you once again to another week of Focus on Metal. We've got two great returning guests this week. It's kind of a rhythm section that sings kind of a theme this week, as we have Dean Castronovo back on the show, as well as the one, the only, the legendary glenn hughes dean is of course on to talk a little bit about the dead daisies who are uh, back on the road once again here in the states as well as talking about his uh, reunion of sort with uh, johnny Gioeli of hardline of course dean was also a member of hardline back in the day and uh, dean and johnny just put out a release called set the world on fire so uh, he'll be talking to richie all about what's going on with that one Glenn is, of course, on the show this week to talk about the uh, his upcoming tour he's got going on. He's been doing it for a little bit now since uh, uh, sometime around April, but he's bringing the classic Deep Purple live tour to the states, and that kicked off on the uh, on the 25th and uh, in Westbury, New York. And he'll be traveling up the East Coast, coming by uh, Richie and myself, doing a, just a ton of dates all over the place. That winds up here in the states, back in New York again on the 22nd of September, where then he's going to head over to uh, to Ireland, as well as all over the UK, and then off into uh, into Europe, playing a lot of dates in Germany, Poland, Czech Republic, the Ukraine, uh, you know, France, the Netherlands. Uh, russia and he wraps the whole sucker up in uh, in finland on the 29th of november so uh, there you go if you uh, if you want to catch uh catch some glenn hughes live then uh, you want to get over to uh, glennhughes.com and go to the tour page and check out all of what he's got planned uh for the tour schedule But, uh, anyways, this week you'll be able to hear Glenn talking to us all about the tour and uh, some other cool stuff as well. So, with two great returning guests on the show this week, I think that for another week we will forego track of the week, get right into the conversations with Dean and Glenn. So, with that, I think I'm going to turn it over to uh, my buddy Richie and Dean Castronovo.
2: Good morning, brother. Hi, Dean. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Oh, you're still jet lagged, <laughs> dude. I'm
3: I'm out of it. I was up at three this morning, just like okay, I'm awake now. What do I do?
2: <laughs> so you so
3: guess what I did? I, I I did laundry and I cleaned the kitchen. and
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm doing normal things, bro. <laughs> yeah,
2: before you go back on the road again in two weeks.
3: Oh yes, certainly Getting back out there. I'm you know it's nice to be home and see the family and you know, get recharged, and yeah, I haven't played in the States since 2015, so this is going to be great, bro. It's going to be awesome.
2: Yeah. So, before I get into it, I need to ask you, what happened with the Steelhouse Festival show that you couldn't make? it? Was the weather that bad?
3: It was, dude, we, you know, uh, David's got his private jet, and we were talking to the pilot, and they were like, look, everything going into Cardiff is, is not happening that they won't even let our plane come in, a private jet. And we, David's got state-of-the-art equipment that can fly through anything. And it, it was not even that. It was Cardiff shut down the freaking airport. They're like, we're not, we're not letting anybody in. We're not letting anybody out. Everything started to get canceled. So we thought, okay, let's get uh, some vans, and we'll drive there. It's a four-hour drive. but screw it. Let's, let's do it. Well, we called the van company, and they were like, well, we can't get any vans there in time. It would take us two hours to get to you. And then, uh, you know, another four hours, by the time we got there, it would have been 8.30 at night, and we were supposed to play at 6. So,
4: yeah, <laughs> that's not going to
3: happen. And, you know, so we were getting a hold of some of the guys from the choir boys, and they were like, we're in Croatia. We can't even fly into Cardiff. car to fix, shut everything down. I don't know if they even made it or not, but it, it was tight for them.
2: What was it, Dean? So, was it rain?
3: Yeah, it was, dude, it was rain. It was, what, the, the, the I guess the side winds, I don't know exactly, you know, the uh, – the uh, right terms for it. But I guess the the winds were coming into the side so fast that it that would have thrown the plane off. It
4: would have just been wow. pandemonium.
3: So, but they, I, I was told they shut down Cardiff Airport. I mean, they didn't shut it down, but they were like, every flight was getting canceled and, and they wouldn't let anybody in, they wouldn't let anybody out. So it was a bummer, dude. You know, this band has never missed a show. From what I was told, they have never Missed the show, so it was hard on us because we we're like, oh man, the fans are going to be bummed, and we're bummed, and we tried everything. driving management just said, look, there's no way we're going to make it. We are not going to be able to make it. So, and I know some of the fans were, were pretty upset and pretty, you know, obviously, you know, pissed off. <laughs> you know, it was like, man, we tried everything. I mean, we were sitting in a hotel lobby waiting, just sitting there going, okay, what are we doing? We sat for two hours trying to get vans in, and nothing. They were like, we can't get there in time. Okay, wow. <laughs> so we, we ended up sitting at that airport for, or at the, the hotel there for close to three hours. They finally got us a van there, right? And it was a, um, a handicapped van, if you know what I mean. It's like it had like, you know, places, to go, uh, uh, wheelchairs, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're like, okay, well, well let's get in it. And, and it took us another, gosh, two and a half hours to get to London because everybody was leaving, you know, getting out in their cars to go. That, you know, because everything was shut down. so It was gnarly, bro. It we was you know, yeah, Because, the, like said.
2: yeah. Was that the last show that, of the tour, or did you have one after?
3: Nope, that was it. That was the last show. That's what I said. We were ready to go. We you know, it was uh, three shows in a row. We were all set to go, and, and we just sat there. It's like, what are we going to do? You know, we just sat and waited, and that's all we could do. So, you know, it, it was a bummer. Yeah, we ended up flying over the next morning. So,
2: yeah, one of the things I. I love about the dead daisies it's not because like I've spoken I've spoken to you dog and and I've spoken to Marco before and John so I've spoken to ford to yeah. ivy the way you treat the fans is, is fantastic now in my opinion because yeah. one of the things you did as well on this tour is um you let the first was a 50 or 100 fans in to do an acoustic set before the main show like that stuff like that's a, is really amazing to me now I think it's really great that you guys do that
3: well you know and, and I can tell you Richie, I I don't know if any any other bands that engage with the fans like this band does you know and I've been in previous bands that they you know, most of them wouldn't even do meet and greets you know and then there was the I love all access type thing where you have to pay in order to meet the fans and I love David Lowy's his his concept on it it's like look they buy a ticket they pay you know they, they pay for gas to get there you know they want to be entertained with a show. Why are we going to pay them to meet us? Where are they going to have to pay us to meet us? Because that's hogwash. He goes, we're going to meet them. We're going to go out. And we're going to mingle with the people that care about us and that love this band. And dude, that was huge for me because when I joined, they told me this, and I was like, "You guys don't charge," you know, because that's all I was used to is 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 the big you know corporate band that you know charges a thousand bucks to go meet them. And I was like, that is the coolest thing and, and the meet and greets after the show and, and how they engage after the show and you know we're we're tired after a gig but you know what the beautiful thing is as soon as we go out and we meet the we, we just sit down behind those desks and we meet those fans, it's so energizing because they're so uh dedicated to this band. I mean I've never seen anything like it. Dude. I, I really haven't. They are like loyal, loyal, especially Europe and UK. Especially Europe you know, uh, Glasgow, I mean, you know, Scotland, Ireland, they freaking love this band.
5: Yeah,
3: And i and that was huge for me, bro. It was like, man, this is the coolest thing. Because they actually, they're doing it the right way. You know, it's, these fans are so loyal and, and they're willing to pay, you know, top dollar for tickets and, and, you know, maybe miss a day of work because they want to come and see us. The least we can do is give them our time, man. And, and I love that, you know, that's, I remember Ronnie Dio saying something, and I'm sure you probably heard this story. Where uh, Ronnie was uh, was after a show, and somebody asked him, "Man, how do you go after a two hour show and go spend another two hours engaging with fans? Man, how do you do it?" I mean, it was, and and Ronnie said something great. He goes, "You know, I'll never remember what city we're in, uh, what place we played, what hotel I was at." And he goes, "I won't remember that, but he goes, those fans." will remember meeting me the rest of their lives. The least I can do is give them my time. And dude, that that was like, boom. That is the attitude every band should have. Every, every band. these sports stars, everything. Give them your time, man. Because they're there supporting you. The least you can do is shake a hand, give them a hug, take a picture, and say, man, thank you so much. Yeah. That's huge.
2: Yeah. yeah. There's certain bands now that, like Metal Church and Y&T, Dave Menachetti and all that, they just will not charge for a meet and greet. They're like you guys. They're like... The, you are yeah. paying to go. Why should you yeah. charge them?
3: Exactly, Richie. And I agree. Dude, that's the mentality every band should have, in my opinion. Give them some time. Visit with them. Many people love
2: you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Visit with them. But the problem you know, is... Mean, say hello. Yeah, but the problem there, Dean, is sometimes your meet and greets, you could be there for three hours, maybe, if, if, you, if you went to see everyone, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's why we keep it to 100 fans. <laughs> yeah,
3: you have to. Because, yeah, cause, cause, yeah but it'll usually it'll be about, we, we stay back about an hour, hour and a half after the show, which is it's fine. You know? It gives us time to cool off, relax, kind of come down as much as we can from the, the adrenaline rush we get from playing. And, and we get to visit with these people that love us. And and, and yeah, like I said, it doesn't happen anymore. And I'm grateful to be in a band that actually cares. It really does. It's not fake. It ain't like, okay, we're going to do this. Ugh. It's not like that. It's like, okay, towel off. Let's go visit with these people. And it's awesome.
2: Yeah. Now, when when you joined the Dead Daisies, you probably would you knew some of the guys, and you probably would have had expectations. Has the reality yeah. exceeded all your expectations? Yes. Exceeded totally, bro.
3: I mean, I knew, I've worked with Marco, obviously. I've, I've worked with Doug with Revolution Saints. The only two that I hadn't worked with was John Karabi, who <laughs> is a legend in my eyes. I mean, a vocal legend. And uh, and David, so you know when I did join and I went to meet them in New York City. It, it was awesome. They're just such good guys, and they were in the writing process for the record. So I just sat back like a fly on the wall and watched how they created, and it was really interesting. And and, and it was good for me, a good experience because I got to know David and John and how they go about their work. All right, I knew Marco and Doug. I knew that was going to be easy, you know. And and John and I have just bonded, man. I I, I for me. Playing with I mean, John to me sang on the greatest Motley Crue record
2: ever recorded. Yeah, I, I agree. I love, love that oh, album, dude.
3: That is the killer, most killer. That's when Motley Crue, in my opinion, became a band. It was like, oh, now they're unstoppable. You got you know three great musicians, and you got John leading the pack. And I've, I've only worked with um, a few singers that can pull off night after night consistency you know, in their singing. And, and one of them is Paul Rogers. One of them, obviously, is Arnell mm-hmm. and John. And John Crabby, man, he'll do five shows in a row and still sound killer. I've never seen that before. Like I said, the essential Arnell and Paul. Those guys can go out, you know, and, and sing their things and, and do it three or four nights in a row and it won't even phase them. And John's like that. And I'm, I'm so honored to be working with a guy like that, that, you know, that can bring it nightly Nightly,
4: yeah, without
3: any, you know, without any problems, you know, and he'll come back and go, Oh man, I had a rough night tonight. (laughs) Who's looking at each other like, shut up?
2: Yeah. let's talk a little bit about um, the, the, the new album you got out, Set the World on Fire. Um, yeah. Now, you, when you did a show in, um, in Italy with Revolution Saints, I think it was last year, were you there already recording this?
3: Actually, I was there, uh, let me see, I was doing the, we were doing the Revolution Saints record, we weren't doing Johnny the Johnny G. Loewe thing yet, Okay. that came later, um, so I was there doing the second uh, Revolution Saints record. Finishing up, doing drums, doing vocals. And I had a couple other records I was doing with a, a guitarist named Tony Fernando, who plays for uh, uh, something, Lord of Black. Great guitarist. Yeah, so I actually did the Revolution Saints drum tracks in three days, and then did Tony's record in two days, and then did all the vocals for for the Revolution Saints stuff. So that, the Johnny record didn't happen until October of that year, just before... I, uh, I joined the Daisies. They flew me in, and, and uh, I, again, did the tracks, the drum tracks in a couple of days, and then Johnny and I proceeded to tear up the vocals. So, uh, yeah, that was done in October. So that was a completely, that was about six months later. See, I, I did April, May, June, July, August, uh, yeah, about six months later. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. So <laughs> when, 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 was the last, when was the last time you met Johnny before doing this?
3: Honestly, the last time I saw him was when Johnny was playing at uh, Hollywood Bowl. And that was in, gosh, just give me a second. That was probably 2010, maybe. And I hadn't seen him since 92. So, you know, it had been a while. And, um, you know, it was great to see him back then. I mean, it was like we never left, but once we did the record together and I saw him again, I was like, oh my gosh, man. Ah, my brother. And, you know, see, for me, man, every band I've ever been in, I see him as his family. And brothers, because when you're that close to, to guys and, and you're working together and you're creating together, it's not just like a friendship. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot closer because it's a very spiritual thing when you're when you're creating. So, you know, it, it's for me, you know, to to be with Johnny again after not seeing him for you know, 19 years and, and and you know, the bands I've been in, I just consider it a family to me. A lot of other guys don't do that. They they're gig and they, they never talk to them again, but I always bond with the people I'm working with because it's, like I said, it's a very creative process. And, and to bond like that, it, it makes it all the more special. So, you know, that's yeah. how I
2: roll anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would, would it be too simple to say that the reason Hardline split up in the first place was grunge?
3: It was, but it, we got to be honest. Dude. I mean, it, you know, like, that record came out in 92. Had it come out in 87 or 88? it would have been over. I mean, it would have been massive. And I know that. Because the songs were great on that record. Uh, Johnny's vocals and melodies were stellar. You know, you have Neil Sean in the band who's a complete ripping fool. He's a monster. So, you know, all the ingredients were there with the exception of we were about five years too late. Like I said, had it come out in 87 or 88, oh, we would have been huge. i know it. The songs were there. I mean, you heard the record. It's it's a brilliant record. Yeah, have a You know, it just... It came out at the same time. I mean, Nirvana came out, I think, I think six months after, or, or yeah, you know, or six months before, something like that. It came out while we were doing that record, and I went, wow, I I love Nirvana. I was like, man, this is killer stuff. I had no idea it was going to change the face of music forever. I had no clue. Yeah. Now, you now, you said, just,
2: yeah. You said there that, you know, you hadn't really seen Johnny that much, but did you keep track at all of what he was doing? Because he did bring out a couple of hardline records in between.
3: Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, you know, it was... Uh, once I got on social media more, um, I started seeing more of what Johnny was doing, and then you know, sitting down with him while we were doing this record, and he was telling me how he does all of the, the booking and, and you know for Hardline, and they do you know tons of shows. I was like, "You're kidding, bro!" I had no idea. You know, I knew he was doing records, I didn't realize how big of a following Johnny had, and he's got a massive following. So you know, it was it was blew my mind. Got to be honest, it was like, wow, man, I had no clue. Because he runs the whole thing. That is, Hardline is his baby, and he works his tail off to make sure flights are there and the kicks are set up. And I mean, he does everything. He's 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 the, the baby, the brainchild of that whole thing, and everything goes through him. And he's such a workaholic. That man, I mean, he just non nah, nah, He's up at five like me. You know? <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah.
2: cool. Was there was there any talk at all with the label about maybe bringing this out under the Hardline name?
3: You know, no. We, you know, because Johnny, that's his baby. We knew that. You know, Hardline's a separate entity, and that's his his thing. We were talking in the beginning, like, wouldn't it be great if Neil and myself and Todd, you know, and Johnny got together and did one more record? I mean, I thought that would be great, and Johnny and I were talking about that, but I, it, it, it'll never happen, you know. Johnny's got that, and actually, I got to be honest, the, the, the what we call the Geo Novo record. I'm really proud of man. I didn't realize how great of a response we could get off of this. I had mm-hmm. no clue.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the one... I'm looking at all the writing credits on this, and this is a general question about Frontiers, but Alessandro yeah. Del Vecchio, whoever gets writer's block or leaves, you're all fucked.
3: Uh, yeah, you know, our, our, um, Alessandro, he, he's... He's uh, Frontiers in-house producer slash writer, and he's brilliant. The man's brilliant. Um, right? Alessandro writes a lot of the stuff, but... Like with Revolution Saints, Doug would take what Alessandro wrote and he would make it his own. I would take the drum tracks and make them my own. And then vocally and lyrically, like on Revolution Saints, we sat down and, and I'd say, okay, you know, I wouldn't sing this, I wouldn't write that, I wouldn't sing that line. So we went through each song, you know, and, and Alessandro was brilliant like that, man. He knows what we were looking for and he he can deliver Uh, Yeah, I love working with him. It's a joy to work with Alessandro. It really is. We have a blast together. It's a blast.
2: What about on this record now? Do you have the same level of interpretation yourself to the songs? Or is he more, I wrote this song, this is the way we're going to do it?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, for the the Ginova record, the songs were were done, you know, because I just came in and I said, okay, let's, let's do this. Lyrics were done. Everything was done. So I just came in and did my drum tracks and did my vocal parts. So it was finished, you know, basically. And, and and Alessandro vocally, would you know he would kind of guide me through stuff, and we tried different things. But basically, those were his songs. So a couple outside writers, those, were, but mostly those are his and Johnny's, you know, babies. I just came in and did it. <laughs> yeah, the
2: song the song that stands out for me is um, "True." The second song on the album is brilliant. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, dude, I mean, when, when I heard that song, I mean, you know, I'm an emotional guy anyway. I'm, I'm the, the wimp in the band. In every band, I'm like a little sensitive, you know. Uh, when I heard that, I got teary. I was like, damn, it's, it's us. That one and Who I Am. I don't know if you've heard Who I Am.
2: Oh, I heard the album in front That
3: me. one. Oh, awesome, dude. That, that song, Who I Am, it speaks about us, you know, John and myself, and how, you know, even through all the stuff that I went through and all the, you know, being away for 19 years, we're still tight. You know, and and that that made me really really proud to know that you know, throughout all that stuff, I you know I had people that were there for me and and you know silently in the wings going you know what we got your back we knew who you are
4: yeah. and uh,
3: you know it was those songs man there you know there's a few on there that definitely I'm like wow yeah. I mean to me I mean to me who I am that song could be a massive hit I just say you know it's just an amazing tune you know it reminds me of early. Uh, Harry Street Talk. You know, that, that song kind of reminds me of yeah. something that would have come out of my time. And yeah. it, uh, I love that too. Yeah, but, the,
2: other, the other song is brilliant, it's Need You Now.
3: Oh, dude. You know, I, I didn't get to sing on that. I was blown. I was I like, know. Johnny, I want to sing that. Johnny's like, nope, nope, that was mine. I'm like, oh, son of a gun. You know, <laughs> which was cool, though, because Johnny delivered. I, You know, and when I heard the song, I was like, oh, John, I want to sing that. He goes, nope, that's mine. I'm like, Dude, dude, come on. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the way that he delivered that. John's, John's another one. He's, he's one of those singers. Uh, and I've got to put him in there with Paul Rogers. I, I didn't even think about that. Johnny is another one that's consistent as heck. He can go in and, and like I said, sing Five Nights with Axel Rudy Pell, and then go do a hardline show the next night, you know, and then go into the studio, and he still sounds burning. Yeah. He's another, you know, he's got Iron, iron Voice. He's one of those guys.
2: Yeah. What do you think now, Dean, you're more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're more tough on yourself when you're recording your drums or when you're recording your vocals?
3: Vocals. Drums I got. You know, I I, I know being in, in journey for as many years as I was, I learned how to play for the solo. And, you know, I could do a bunch of licks and I could, you know, busy the thing up. But I you know, I know what I'm going for musically as a drummer on whatever track i'm doing or whatever project i'm doing i know where you know i i get in there i see where the band's uh, vision is or, or direction they're going in and i deliver vocally though dude i'm ultra hard on myself because I'm, really, I'm not a singer i'm a drummer that happens to sing i mean really that's the way i see it you're, oh you've got a great voice I'm like, well i'm actually a better drummer <laughs> you know what i mean i mean i'm more comfortable playing drums than i am singing because uh, I am, I'm hard on myself, man. After being in Journey and having to sing those songs, and, and you got to do them flawlessly, you know, or the fans, <laughs> they will crucify. <laughs>
4: right. So
3: for me, it was like, you know, I always drums actually took a back seat when I was singing my Journey. I, you know, I, I would just, it would be on autopilot, basically, and I would concentrate on breathing and, and where, what, what air I needed to get to hit this note. So drums actually were just like, it's like an, almost like an afterthought. So you know, yeah, I'm definitely hard on myself vocally. Yeah. Problem. I mean, do you, yeah. you need a lot of guidance in the studio? Well, you know what? I I ask for it. You know, that's the thing because I'm not a lead singer, and I don't have, you know, I don't have that sort that intuition or that 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 instinct to know where I want to go uh, vocally. There's there's things that I would hear and go, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'll try this. And that's the beauty of Alessandro because he is really good at guiding me. You know, and, and I need that. Because like I said, I'm a drummer that happens to sing. If it was the other way around, like a Don Henley, where I'm an amazing singer, but, you know, drums are just something that I do, you know, it, it would be different. But I'm not, you know, I, I'm a drummer that just, you know, happens to sing. <laughs> you know, did, and, and so,
2: yeah. Did Johnny know, back in Hardline, how good a singer you were? Like, did you do a lot of background vocals on that album?
3: Oh yeah, I did. I did all the high stuff and, and live. Like if Johnny was having a, a rough night, which was very rare, he'd be like, "You know, can you can you do the high stuffs out of this?" And, and, and you know, can you, And, and I, I'm like the utility guy, the secret weapon. You know, yeah, of course I will. You know, that's the beauty of being in a band. It's about a team. It's not like, oh well, I want the spotlight on me when I'm singing that. Singing it now, I'm, I'm here to, to do my job. So, you know, I sang backgrounds on the hardline stuff. But you know, Johnny never needed much help. He he was so dang good and still is. That, you know, he didn't need, you know, that that secret weapon. But I did what I, you know, what my parts were, and, and yeah, it's a, it, it was kind of like that. <laughs>
2: are now a success for this because more than likely you're not going to do any live shows.
3: Well, you know, we're actually, we're talking about doing something. I know that it, um, if everything works out, uh, we're going to do the Frontiers, uh, the Frontiers Fest in April if we can get it done. Hmm. Uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Neil and Greg Raleigh about doing the Journey Through Time thing next year while the Dead Daisies are off. You know, we've got about four months in January through uh, end of April. Well, we've got nothing. So Neil is, is working on possibly booking shows for that thing while we're up. You know, I, I told Johnny, Ann, if we can do some shows, I would love it. I would mean, think about the possibilities. We could do hardline stuff. Yeah. We could do the Gianovo stuff. We could do the Revolution Saints stuff. It's 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 just getting the logistics together and, and everybody's schedule's working out. But, dude, I mean, you know what, Revolution Saints, we want to do shows. We wanted to. But, you know, Jack is so darn busy with Night Ranger, and we certainly can't tell him, well, pull Night Ranger off and come do this. You know, it's like that's his bread and butter. That's his band. So. Yeah. You know, it was always like, well, we have to wait and see if Jack's available. And Jack's a busy man. And we get it. We we would never be, you know, offended or, or resentful, you know, because that's what he does. So, you know, of course I'd love to do shows, man. Like that's that's the whole reason to do it records, in my opinion, is to go out on the road and promote it and, and and make it grow. And with Revolution Saints, we haven't had that opportunity. I'm hoping that if, if Johnny and my record, if it keeps doing well like it is, be, we're gonna have no option, but there have to be shows. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, this band's too big. It's doing too good. We need to play live. So I'm hoping, bro, there's talk of us doing a revolution saints record next year. Um, uh, but we're hoping that that Jack um, is more involved in it. I want him to sing more. I want him, you know to write more because uh, he's such an amazing talent and he's such an amazing songwriter. and you know. I would rather have him sing like what, what Night Ranger does. He sings a few songs. I sing a few songs. We sing some songs together. Because uh-huh. Jack's an amazing vocalist, you know. And and for me to, to do Revolution Saints and just be the 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 only singer in the band, I mean, we're not tapping our potential, in my opinion. You know, we got Jack freaking Blades. Yeah, <laughs> Hello, you know, yeah. we need to use him. He's just so dang good. You know, so I think the consensus with the label and with Revolution Saints is, if we are going to do another one. Jack has to be. We want Jack more involved. I want him lead singing on, on at least half of this stuff. You know, it, it it would make it would make it better for the band. I mean, it would just it would just raise the band's level. You know, level, uh, you know in in so many different ways. So that's what we're hoping. If we do this, we're going to do it probably in March. We'll do a Revolution Saints record while I'm there. I'll do the record. And then uh, we'll go to the Frontiers Fest. That's what—that's the, the initial plan. But I've got to wait and see what's going to happen with Neil and this journey through time thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Final question from me, Dean. This, now, this is a pretty—this is a pretty deep question to finish with, right? Okay. Now, okay. the last time I spoke to you, um, we talked a little bit about your faith and rediscovering your faith, and Jonathan yes, helped yes, you, sir. and you got a pastor, right? How yeah. did you know when you found it? Again, well, you know that
3: for me, dude, I. I gave my life to Christ in 1987, and, and it, was, it was a strong, strong uh, transformation for me. And uh, I just kind of slowly took my hand out of God's hands. You know, and, and that when that happens, man, that's when I'm going down. That's when the drugs started coming, because I was trying to fill a hole that, in my opinion, only Christ can fill for me. So here I am doing drugs and buying cars and, you know, all the, the trappings of rock and roll. To try and fill a hole and a void that that only Christ can fill for me, uh, so you know, and and the funny thing is, is actually you know, I was actually more of a catalyst for Jonathan because uh, you know John, you know, always he he was a believer, but he wasn't he wasn't like you know fully blown into it until he met Paula. So for him, you know, it, it was it was really cool because it was kind of like. We both renewed our faith at that time. We're like, oh, man, this, you know, it's great. John's a Christian now. It's going to be cool. And, but I kept falling backwards, man. I just kept sliding back down because it wasn't a firm commitment until all all my stuff happened. And then it was like, man, I get it now. It was like the light went on. You mm. know what I mean? It's like, dude, <laughs> your life sucks, and it hasn't been good since 1987. You know, you you, you know, and it was like. I finally realized like okay you know what i need to to rededicate and i need to be strong with this because that was the only time i was ever sober bro is when i was when i was serving god being yeah. honest i mean when i gave my life to christ i had 10 years of sobriety i didn't touch nothing because i was so you know god was first god filled that hole and then when i started taking my hand out and going oh, okay lord i got this whatever it is it was like everything started going downhill slowly It's a slow spiral, man. It's so weird how that happens. It's very slow and very uh, unassuming. And then, boom, you get knocked on your keister, and you're like, what the heck happened? And and so for me, it's like, ah, once I said, okay, I give up, I surrender. I can't fight this disease. I can't fight addiction. I can't personally do it. I need a higher power. I need something stronger than me. And, of course, I gravitated right back to Jesus. And that's me. And you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm not. And, and, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else because I'm not. But you know what? For me, this works. This wow. is the only true success I've ever had. Is when when I, I you know surrendered fully and said, "Okay, well, you're gonna you're gonna take this, and I'm just gonna be the passenger. You drive it. You tell me where to go. You know." And it's worked. You know, so far so good. You know, it, it always has. But I've learned a lesson, man. I, I, can't, I can't back off of that. Because if I do, that's when I go down. When you think you got it down is when you're going down. And that's what I did. I walked in. I was like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm okay. I got a great job. I'm, you know, things are good. It wasn't. It was horrendous. Huh. But, of course, I didn't see it. You know, I was too messed up to see anything. I'm just grateful to be clean today. Grateful that I have my, my beautiful girl back. You know that knew me before all this stuff happened. Yeah. <laughs> I've known her since I was nineteen. You know, we grew up together, so she knew the sober me. And she was like, "This is not the, this is not the man I fell in love with." It was a mess. Now she's got that man back. My grandbabies, who are sitting right here watching cartoons with me here, they have me back. My children, the band, everything, yeah. and most importantly, God. God's got me back, man. You know, I'm not going away. Hey, uh, I learned my lesson. Well, uh,
2: <laughs> well, Dean. I'm I'm gonna leave you go. Um I am going to try and get to the show in Albany, New York on the first of September. It's a three hour well, drive. Let from me here. know.
3: Would you text me and let me know? And and uh, I'm not allowed to give tickets away, but I can buy tickets for you know, close friends and dude, I'll get you in. Yeah. If you if you if you make it, I'll get you in. I'll make right. it happen.
2: All right, Dean. Well I'll leave you go. Have a good rest of the day. The album is excellent All right, big guy. Set oh, far, you,
3: you have a great day, man. God bless you
2: Yeah. All right, Dean. Get some rest. Yes, sir. <laughs> right, right.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. And once again, big thanks to Dean Castronova for coming on the show, talking to us all about not only the new Gioli Castronovo set the world on fire release, but also uh, giving us a uh, little bit of Revolution Saints teasers, as well as some updates and news on the dead daisies. And if you want to keep track of Dean, you can always head up to his main site, DeanCastronovo.net. And that site will give you his whole bio, all the bands that he's in now, all the bands he's been in as well. Nice links to everything. So there you go. Your one stop Dean Castronovo shopping at, uh, DeanCastrenovo.net, and on the week that uh, this show airs, the Dade Daisies will be uh, deep into their U.S. tour. Uh, the the release week for this show, they'll be at the uh, Scout Bar in Houston, Texas, on the sixth. They'll be at Trees in Dallas on the seventh Saturday. At Come and Take It Live in Austin, they'll just keep right on going. They'll be uh, hitting. Uh, they'll be hitting Vegas on the twelfth. And they'll be doing a whole crap load of California dates starting on September 13th in San Diego. And then cruising back to the East Coast uh, for the KISS cruise on October 31st. So a lot of dates on the KISS cruise. And then, uh, then they'll be heading over in November to, uh, to the UK. And you can find all those dates and more By uh, clicking over, like I said, DeanCastronovo.net and clicking on the Dead Daisies link or just heading straight to TheDeadDaisies.com and clicking on shows up on the upper navigation bar. So up next is our conversation with the uh, legendary Glenn Hughes proud to have him on the show again just an incredible singer incredible bass player just uh, just all around great guy as i mentioned at the beginning of the show glenn is here to promote his uh classic deep purple tour that he's doing so i think it's very fitting why don't we spin a little classic deep purple with glenn and then get right into richie's talk with glenn hughes
2: Hey Glenn, how are you? Is it good morning or where you are?
0: It's a it's 7:44 on in Bulgaria. I think I'm seven hours ahead of you.
2: Oh, you're in Europe.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm in Bulgaria. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. Um, doing a, a long run of this wonderful show I'm about to bring to the United States next week. Can't wait.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I want I want to ask you first off. I'm going to talk a little bit. Your f- Wolves are back in the Premiership.
0: <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yeah.
2: You're going to try and get to see a uh, game?
0: I would hope. I w- I'm going to be touring the UK uh, in October, and I think I have a Saturday three. In fact, I know I do. So I'll be going to the game. I'm, I'm kind of involved in the club, so I'll be able to get some tickets. Damn right, I'll be there. Absolutely.
2: Nice, nice. Are you someone when you're in LA now that would get up really early to watch the games?
0: Every day. Uh, and, if, and by the way, if I'm in Tokyo or Singapore or Australia when the, the, the time changes 18 hours ahead of in LA, it'll be like four o'clock in the morning or maybe two o'clock in the morning. I've, I've never really missed a game of Wolverhampton unless I've been you know, sick or something. So I, I'm always, you know, listening to, to games and watching
2: as many as I can. Nice, nice. So I I just want to ask you a question about the Joe Satriani album that you played on. Um was that the first <laughs> record you ever played on where you didn't sing? Completely.
0: And when Joe and I were talking about this, I may have asked Joe going into it before we we you know the songs were written. I said, "Do you would you like me to sing on this album?" And he said, "I think we can find a, a, you know a song for you." And I said, "Okay, you know." So the funny thing was that when we re- were recording each song, as I'm playing, I'm singing. I'm like I'm singing melodies and stuff. And after each song, I'd say to him, "Um, you can't hear a vocal on this track," and he'd laugh at the end of the album he would say Glenn all the stuff you were singing the melodies you said I was kind of taking those and putting them on my guitar and playing guitar to them which I thought was hilarious so look it was a pleasure to play with Joe he's a dear friend of mine it is the first record I've ever done that I've never sang so it was pretty cool
2: yeah it must have been a little bit weird though doing it that way
0: it um a little weird. Little, little weird. Uh, was I upset? Absolutely not. I got a chance to groove with my best buddy, Chad, and we did our thing and it was it was it was a little bit abnormal, if you can imagine, because I've done as you know, I've maybe over 150 records in my life uh, where I have always sung, so it was a little different.
2: Yeah, and was there ever any talk about you, Chad, and Joe playing some live shows?
0: We would, but Chad. Uh, Chad, for at, at the last seven or eight months, Chad's been in the studio making another Chili Peppers album. I think with Chad, especially with the chicken footprint as well, Chad is, as you know, his first port of call is is, is, is the Chili Peppers. And <clears throat> it would be a lot easier if Chad wasn't, wasn't in the Peppers, but that's his main source of income, of course, and he's
2: robbed. Yeah. I
0: think but that I think a lot of a lot of people would love for Joe Chad, and I to do something. And you never know, it may happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the the live show you're doing now, all the deep purple tracks. Um why do it now, Glenn? Like is there a particular reason why now is the right time? Only
0: because you're cheap. simply because. Back in the early part of two thousand seventeen I was on the road doing a tour, the resonance room last record. And a lot of promoters, especially through Europe, um, and then it came America. America, uh, were asking um, real great promoters, you know, would I be interested in doing something, a legacy of songs of Deep Purple? I think it's quite common knowledge, Richie, that there's going to be a point where the Deep Purple that is playing at the moment may slow down, really slow down, and there seems to be from a, a poll of people out there that people want to hear the songs I recorded on Burn and Stormbringer and Come Taste the Band as I may be the only artist that can do those songs now. So, so uh, last September, October 2017, Rich, we, uh, I went with my band and we did a sold-out tour of Australia and New Zealand in great theatres which led me to continuing this path, which now leads me to bringing my, my band, the Glenn Hughes performs classic Deep up Live, into America a week next Saturday.
2: Yeah, and are you bringing the same band to the US which you, that you're playing with in Europe, within Europe?
0: No. Kind of an exclusive thing for you here. I've gone and... I have, what I want to say here, Richard, is it's a little bit difficult to to explain. But I'll make it. I'll t- use it in a football analogy. <laughs> you know, let's just say, um, we, we, as you know, there's, there's 22 or 23, 24 people in the squad of football players. Yeah. Let's just say I think the game I want to play right now is a game where I want to play Manchester United, and I want to bring in some really good new signings, and I want to make sure that my team is on a win. What I'm trying to get to you, Rich, is, is that I need the band I'm playing with, playing these legacy of the songs I wrote in Deep Purple, to sound as close as we can to organic Hammond, organic Stratocaster and Ludwig drums. I really want to make it as close as humanly possible. Not to look like the guys in the band, of course. But when people in the audience may they want maybe they'll want to close their eyes and maybe they'll think, hey. Isn't this 1974? You know, I'm just trying to say, I just want to bring something to America and globally that is more uh, prolific these days.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, the songs you're doing in the set, um, some of the songs are like Doreen Gillen's songs, so that band is doing them. So why mm-hmm. did you not just do songs that you recorded on the three records? Good because, question. Because A I'll, of people- I'll, t- I'll tell you, Glenn, personally, right? A lot of people might say, this is the only chance I'm going to get to hear those songs performed by you because Ian is not going to sing them.
0: No, you know, to answer your question, when I started, when I put the set list together last summer, a year ago, there were all the songs except the two songs, I know you referring to Highway Star and Smoke. Mm-hmm. But, Richie, I don't know how old you are. I think you might not be as old as I am. But in in, in the 70s, when I was in Deep Purple, David and I, you may remember or you can look at the, in the history books, we did sing Smoke on the Water. In mm-hmm. fact, David and I sang Smoke on the Water more than Ian Gillen did. And we did sing Highway Star. And, and it was quite remarkable. So I would not have done anything that I thought was inappropriate. The set is over two hours long. I think um, it's not my thing to duplicate what Gillen and Glover have done. As you know, I sing differently and play differently to those two blokes. So I think a lot of people, I think more people want to hear them that don't want to hear them. Um, It wasn't my first of call to do those songs, but I tried them in, in Australia, and it was a, a huge success. Let's just see what happens as we go along the, the road, and let's see. I get to sing Georgia on my mind in Smoke and the Water like I did in the in the 70s, and people get a kick out of it. Richie, if I didn't believe I was delivering those songs appropriately, I wouldn't touch them. Mm-hmm. I would leave them alone. I only want to sing songs, Richie, at this point in my life where I believe them and people will believe them, and I can deliver them in a way that I, sh- I I see fit.
2: Yeah. Glenn, are there any songs on those three albums that you've never done live?
0: Yeah, I mean, a uh, song like, um, especially on Come Chase the Band, you know. Oh, uh, a song which I probably will be doing live is You Can't Do It Right with the One You Love, Storming. I'm going to add that at some point. I'd like to add. Um, i'd like to add dealer from uh come place pan a song I, you didn't nobody knew this but i actually did sing that song but it never actually made the final cut david actually sang it mm-hmm. so i might bring up that one in um you know maybe we can do you know what's going on here would be a really great blues of rock song you know from burn yeah maybe um maybe the gypsy i don't know the, the song. Not many of them. Yeah, no. so it's,
4: uh,
0: <laughs> and you know and it's not, not saying I won't change the set list as we go along I'm sure I will because yeah. i don't if you know me if you know me at all you you know I'm not going to tread water, I'm always going to be pushing the boundaries,
2: yeah, do you think, Glenn, that when you do these runner shows doing the Deep Purple songs, like the whole set that you're not going to do it again in the future that it's a one and done kind of thing
0: that's a difficult one because the tour is going to be. Uh, at least into the early part of 2020, our calendar's kind of full now just from purely doing these, these shows. There's going to be three American tours in the next 15 months. So I'm going to keep doing it. You know why, Richard? The demand of people wanting to see this show, especially in America, is quite overwhelming to me. And I say that with a chuckle. I say that with humility. I say that with complete gratitude.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And is there any talk of maybe recording one of them for a DVD or a CD?
0: There is. There is talk about it. We are actually filming. I start filming in Westbury next Saturday, and it's basically filming stuff with me and, you know, what I do and warming my voice up and me, you know, with my fans and stuff like this. We're kind of doing a documentary. Um, uh, eventually, we will, of course, be getting into the live performances and stuff. Uh, I've been asked to do something in Moscow to major shows I'm doing there in November, back-to-back, where uh, a company wants to film me. I'm, I'm debating on it. These songs have been recorded before on California Jam, as you know, and live in, in London and bloody made right in Japan and all the- so I'm thinking, you know, if there's a way I can feel comfortable doing it and, and making people rich, I don't want this to be a... I'm going to phone this stuff in. If I'm going to record this and if I'm going to be filming this, I want this to be a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants, aggressive, no-holds-barred use performance. I don't want this to be wrapped up in a pink bow, all nice and pretty.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: got to have some bluster. it's got to have some energy... And it's got to have some rawness,
2: okay, Glenn, I want to ask you about the uh the steelhouse show um I interviewed Dean Castronovo, who was the drummer in the dead daisies, and they didn't even make the show because of the weather. How bad was
0: it oh my god it was it was wow a year ago on the same weekend a year ago in 2017 i did I did um Rambling Man festival where it completely washed it out and the same happened at Steelhouse, and with the Brits. I, I, I know you, you know about the Brits. These these poor brothers stood in the rain with their raincoats on and umbrellas or whatever, and they stood there pretty much wet to the bone and suffered. And But they were so amazing. So I brought Miles Kennedy, my dear friend, back on with me to do Highway Star, and it was pretty fucking crazy, and it was pretty wild, and you know, when you're dealing with the weather and stuff, it's um, it's a difficult situation, but we, we carried on and we we did a, a great job.
2: Yeah, What's the worst weather you've ever played a show in?
0: Sunbury Music Festival, 1975, January, with Blackmore, Mark III. Uh, and by the way, in January in Australia, if you know your, your territories, that's the summer, isn't it? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, it was the most torrential downpour ACDC, were one of the opening bands, and I remember it very clearly I had never seen mud like this <laughs> it complete it was a very dangerous situation to be on stage with musical instruments in the rain uh, before all this uh, you know haphazardness going back looking at that, it was a very difficult show to do through torrential rainstorm
2: yeah now, I want to ask you a little bit about um Tony Iommi right he's now someone sent me this as I I asked is there any questions you'd like me to ask Glenn and I thought this was an interesting one now you're playing Glasgow on the 12th of October and apparently Tony's got a is in Glasgow on the 12th at doing a speaking engagement did you ever do you ever think of maybe yeah do you ever think of maybe asking him to to get up on stage and play like when is the last time you actually played live with Tony
0: well, oh, yeah, it's been a long time. I mean, we, we as, as you know, we played together, made three albums together. The last one was Fuse about ten years ago. We're yeah. very close friends. Fuse is one of my neighbors in 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 L.A. Um, you know what I'm going to do, <clears throat> Rich? Um, whether you whether you uh, put this out there or not, I'll, I'll probably give Tony a call and see how he is and if he wants to pop down and see me or whatever, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, but thanks for letting me know
2: that yeah yeah so, so how, did you, how,
0: did you, how did you figure all this
2: out I didn't I, I put it up on the Facebook page do you want me to ask Glenn any questions and this guy put in a comment saying he's playing the 14th of Octo- or the 12th in Glasgow and Tony Iommi is in is in Glasgow on the 12th he's got some engagement up there did he ever think of maybe oh. asking Tony did he want to get up and play with him well you know he, ha- he has done with me a couple of times in, in my solo career he's
0: got up and. We've done a couple of Sabbath songs, you know, I mean, stuff from Seven Star, you know. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I'm overthinking about this because I do love him dearly, as you know. Let's just see where that ends up. Let's see where that ends up, but I will reach out to him.
2: Yeah, and another question someone asked me was, is there any chance of uh, California Breed doing anything else?
0: I don't think so. It was the wrong move for me. Um, it was a, a decision I made early on in 2013, when I met that young chap Andrew Watt, very talented guy from New York, and um, it was a situation where my band Black Country were on hold. I wasn't making a solo record. I was wanting to do some work, and I got together with Andrew. We started to write some songs, and the next thing I got Jason in the studio with me, and we're making kind of making some demos. And then I got this manager coming in, and next, next thing I know, Dave Cobb's calling me up from Nashville, and Dave Cobb, of course, you know, the rival sons, and of course, Chris Stapleton's manager, uh, producer, and Dave's got three Grammys with Chris. So, all of a sudden, fast forward, I have that heart surgery, I don't know if you know that, uh-huh. in 2013, I have the heart surgery. I have a six or seven weeks of recovery, which no one knew about. And when I come out of recovery, I'm kind of like feeling my way around. I'm going, "Wait a minute! Now I'm in Nashville, and now I'm recording." So it wasn't the easiest time for me. Maybe I didn't realize what was going on too much. I'm completely fine now, but let's just say it was maybe a, a, a great album, wasn't it? Yeah. But it was a diff- It was a difficult thing to tour because Jason wanted to wanted to switch gears. He wanted to, if I may be honest with you, I think he, he and Phil Collins were doing some work together. And I think he wanted to tour with Phil. So Jason decided he wasn't available to tour. That led me to being alone with Andrew, who at the time, as you know, was completely unknown. And I said to myself, hmm, tickets are already on sale for a California breed tour with my name on them. So I had to find a replacement for Jason who, by the way, I got the wrong drummer in for that. We won't say who it is. Mm -hmm. And I felt, as I was on the road opening for Slash, my dear friend, and playing some shows with Miles in Alter Bridge, I felt it was the wrong decision for me, Richie. So what I did, I kindly backed away and said, listen, fellas, this isn't really what I want to be doing, but privately, this needs to come to a close at some point so I can move on and, and do go back to making my own music.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a great album.
0: Rich, truly. Now, if you're a historian, I know you can Google it and, and look into this. But it was a difficult thing recovering from my heart surgery. It was not pretty. It was a great album I made today, day, probably Nashville. Jason playing away from the car, not wanting to tour, left me with no alternative but to sort of end that band.
2: Yeah. Now, now, Glenn, a lot of people made a big fuss about your relationship with Joe and Black Country Communion got back together. But what about your relationship with Jason? Like, did, the, did him leaving California breed put a strain on that at all?
0: No. No. No, and I say that. You can see I said no three times to you. <laughs> what did affect Jason and I? I've known Jason. That it's, I'm not, I, I, I could bring tears to my eyes. I've known Jason since he's been in nappies. Since he was one year old, I've known Jason all of his life because John was a dear friend of mine. What when I got sick, uh, with, I'm getting a little deep here, Richie. When I got really sick with my uh, with my um, heart surgery, it was very touch and go there for a while. And Jason was, um, I think it, um, I think it did something. I think it was a real difficult thing for him because. He, Let's just say he'd been dealing with death quite a while, and he just—I think it might have got to him a little bit, you know. I think it um, maybe changed the dynamic a little.
2: Yeah.
0: And of course, of course, uh, a few months or a year after a California Breed, kind of. And by the way, when he left uh, the touring scenario, he didn't leave Uncle Glenn. He just didn't want to tour with that particular band so we never fell out and we never had any harsh words jason and i have never ever had one falling out in 53 years wow
2: wow so final question for me glenn um if you were to play one of your solo albums in its entirety which one would you pick and why
0: it would have to be playing me out from 1976. It was the album I wrote at my home when David Bowie was living at my house. And you might say to yourself, why did he choose that? Because it was an album I made at the end of Deep Purple's realm. It was like an album of soulful Glen Detroit sounding stuff that Bowie was going to produce for me. And it's a, a, key, it a key to my heart songs are very emotional, very funky and groovy. And it was a complete turnaround from what I was doing in the rock scene. But as you know, Richie, let's be clear, people have been calling me the voice of rock for decades now. I have not turned my back on that. But you ask me a question, I'll always answer appropriately. Playing me out of the album hall with a full orchestra would be my ideal event and ideal situation.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm sure you've heard today, Glenn, that uh, Aretha Franklin passed away. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure she yes. was a huge influence on you. She was. 1965,
0: when I first heard her, in, uh, not so much in r and I heard her uh, in, in singing uh, in church, uh, in gospel. Um, my girlfriend's brother was a big fan. He was older than I, and he turned me on to Aretha's gospel side. So when I started, as you, you know me well enough to know that I have very much a black side and a white side.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So Aretha, before Stevie, It was Aretha that educated me on R&B. And it was the piano, and it was that gospel singing, and it was the church, and it led me down that path of, uh, is Glenn Hughes a rocker, or is Glenn Hughes a black man? (laughs) 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 Let's just say I'm a bit of both. But I say that with love and respect for all nationalities, all religions, all faiths, I just love R&B slash Rock and you mix that up in a big gumbo, and that's where you'll find Mr. Glenn Hughes.
2: Yeah, well, Glenn, I, I'm going to the September 18th show over here. I've already got a ticket and everything, so I, I can't wait to see you do a set of Deep Purple songs. Well, you've got to come backstage, man. Let's talk about football. Well, I'd love to. A, no, you mightn't want to talk to me. I'm a Manchester United fan.
0: It's all good, brother. You know, <laughs> Marino, a friend of mine. I was at the, I was at the World Cup with, with Jose. We had a We had a few Diet Cokes together, and uh, he was very, very,
2: very kind and generous to me. Nice, nice. Well, Glenn, do you want to give out the social media sites where uh, people can get in touch with you? Yes. Glenn underscore Hughes
0: is Twitter. Glenn Hughes online, Instagram, and, of course, Glenn Hughes on Facebook and Pinterest and Google+. Plus, All that stuff. Again, Glenn underscore Hughes on Twitter, Glenn Hughes online. On Instagram and Glenn News on Facebook.
2: Well, so Glenn is three a- the big babies. Oh, yeah. well, Glenn, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And you, Richie. All right. God bless you, mate. Thanks hey. for the great, the great questions. Great well, questions, bro. Thank you so much. Thanks, Glenn. Have a good rest of the night. Okay. Bye. Thank you, brother.
1: Bye-bye. All right, that is a wrap for Richie's convo with Glenn Hughes, and we'll see what happens in Glasgow if uh, if we get a Glenn Hughes Tony Iommi special guest appearance at the show. That would be uh, that'd be very cool. Not only for the music to be created, but also just a little bit of uh, metal history that uh, focus on metal and our awesome listeners help to create. And, again, if you're interested in seeing any of those deep purple uh, classic tour dates with Glenn Hughes, as I said before, head up to glennhughes.com, and uh, you can see all those dates laid out there. And while you're up online, as I always tell you, you can head over to focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. Head over into uh, Facebook land to talk to Richie and uh, maybe give him questions for his next interview And also, you can uh, hit us up on Twitter. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else
5: is insignificant. Uh...
3: here.
4: It's over. Go home.